0: Hello, my name is Larry Dobra. I am the executive editor of mm and and welcome to a sponsored podcast with Kristen Cahill, the global CEO of GCI Health. Um, I feel fortunate, uh, this time it's one of the rare times I did not draw the short straw. So we get to talk to Kristen today about not only her succession to the global CEO job, but also about a lot of the communications around COVID and especially vaccines that we've been seeing from the pharma industry recently. Kristen, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So yeah, you know, obviously you've been at GCI Health for a long time, I think close to 20 years. But at the same time, you know, you moved up into the global CEO role at a very challenging time for everybody. You know, most people are still at home. You know, there's still a lot of concern, obviously, about infection rates and when everyone's going to get vaccines and everything else. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the transition, um, about how it was put into place and about some of the challenges along the way.
1: Sure. So I was very fortunate uh, with this transition to have an amazing partner in Wendy and that partnership continued and and will continue uh, in the future. But we we talked early on when when she shared her news that it was important for us as communicators to follow our own advice and and be good communicators in in this instance and for our team through this transition. So really we we started by being really meticulous in terms of having a, a high touch approach with our staff, making sure that we got to our senior leaders and our key people and reassured them. And then really focused with our staff on what was not going to change you know this is a a tremendous time of of change and upheaval for everybody and we have an amazing formula of success at gci and we have an amazing culture and it was really important for us to reinforce that those things are not going to go away that i am as committed to them as ever and that their day-to-day reality was not going to change at the same time it was an opportunity for us to take a step back to offered new people, new opportunities, and to get people re-inspired around the work we're doing and the opportunity ahead of us. So it was a a balance of uh, making sure that people felt secure and reassured and also giving them some new reasons to be excited and inspired about work, which I think is something we all need these days, given the circumstances.
0: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, to, To that end, Um, Tell me a little bit about some of the initial conversations, you know, when it was rolled out to the staff, um, some of the questions you fielded. Tell me a little bit about some of the things that were maybe a bit surprising to you and Wendy as you executed this.
1: You know, it was really a, a smooth process. We didn't get a lot of questions. I think it was a, a testament to the way we were structured previously and the, the senior team that we have and the culture that we have, that it made a lot of sense to people that if, if Wendy was going to be moving on, that certainly, um, you know, it would make sense for the team that she had built and was in place to, to take over. So it was really a, a smooth transition. Um, I, you know, I had the benefit of, of having her around for quite some some time after the news was made public. And uh, overall, I've just been so impressed by our team and the way that they've stepped up and taken on new responsibilities, and and so reassured by the client conversations that I've had that have just reinforced how much they they love their teams at GCI, they love working with their people and are so happy that uh, that's not gonna change.
0: Um, GCI Health obviously are very, very good at communicating. Uh, were, Were there any lessons about communicating internally and externally, like with clients, as you just said, that you picked up during this. Um, Certainly, it was a different set of circumstances than a great majority of the transitions that happened.
1: Yeah, as I said, I think a high-touch approach is really key. Anytime there is a a change in
0: leadership or just a
1: change in general, it's important to us. And this is always our approach that people not hear news as much as possible through email or formal cold ways that they hear it from us directly. So that was a big part of our approach and we would recommend that to anyone uh, who is announcing a, an organizational transition to make sure that you are taking a really high, high touch approach with your team. I think the other thing that helped was again uh, just being really clear with people in terms of the details, the timing, uh, making sure that everyone really understood uh, what this meant for them and making sure that it it felt personal to them, which I think is another best practice for any type of employee engagement is is just ensuring that people understand exactly what this means to them and uh, what it's going to mean moving forward.
0: Uh, Before I start bugging you with questions that are more external focused, for you personally, how has it gone? Um, Was it stressful was it fun was it rewarding was it some combination of the of all of the above it's
1: been interesting you know um as you said i've been at, at gci for 18 years so in many ways this doesn't feel new because i am doing a lot of what i was doing before in my role uh, running in the us obviously where we we are and and have missed wendy terribly but we have an amazing team we have such a great culture we have such inspiring clients to work with that it's really just been incredible to see how people have rallied and, and stepped up and gotten excited um, about what's ahead. So Feeling really good going into the new year, as good as any of us can feel with the uncertainty of the world and feeling uh, inspired to take this team and and take communications and healthcare to the next level.
0: Um, Let's turn our focus to some external issues. Um, I think one of the things we've seen over the last year, and this was something which we talked about with Wendy a good uh, six or seven months ago, the pharma industry and its reputation and its perception. um, Traditionally... Pharma has always done pretty poor in the Harris Poll type studies and the you know the bigger picture studies in terms of what people think about pharma. How do you think pharma is perceived now? Um, Has pharma done a good job in addressing its perception, especially as it you know unprecedented pace with which it created vaccines for uh, for covid.
1: Yeah, it has been a tremendous and transformational year for the industry certainly in their reputation and we do see in ongoing polls that 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 spike in reputation that the pharmaceutical industry experienced early on in COVID has, for the most part, sustained as certainly the the vaccine manufacturers and others have really delivered on the promise of science. But there's still more work to be done. Certainly from a communications perspective, what we've seen is a encouraging science in terms of companies being a bit more transparent. Uh, a bit less formal in the way that they're speaking to their stakeholders a bit more straightforward and, and eliminating some of that corporate speak that can get in the way of that two-way dialogue we've also seen industry put patients and other stakeholders at the center and really give them a seat at the table which is really inspiring and we've certainly seen a newfound appreciation and some exciting ways that people are educating stakeholders around the science and uh, even the fact that industry has has weighed in on you know some social Important social justice topics, and is using this as an opportunity to really commit to health equity and addressing health disparities. All of that is going to help to uh, sustain, I think, the the boost in reputation that industry has seen. But if we're really going to uh, sustain that over the long term we need to continue to push uh, the boundaries of of what we typically think of in terms of healthcare communications and stakeholder engagement. And I think there's some exciting opportunities to do that in the year ahead.
0: Um, a couple of things that what you just said jumped out at me, and I, and I agree with you 100%. I think there's kind of a newfound flexibility in some of the communications we've seen over the last You know six months eight months ten months you know you addressed corporate speak you addressed making sure stakeholders are at the center Um, how, how challenging was it to i don't want to say prod pharma in that direction um traditionally it's been an industry that's you know always been a little bit stodgy about communicating tell me a little bit about that transition and how gci health is one of the most trusted counselors helped pharma get to where they are now?
1: Yeah, I've been really pleasantly surprised among our clients and people I've spoken to in the industry, how ready and willing the communications teams were to embrace a new way of communicating and a new way of engaging. Uh, I think for the most part, we've experienced a lot of excitement, interest, openness to harnessing this opportunity to really change the way that we do communicate and educate and inspire so there there hasn't been a lot of resistance i think uh, you know, like any major or organization or organizations, there's they're very matrix, they're very siloed. And so it, it's more helping our communications clients to make sure that um, the larger organization is really walking the walk when it comes to these things. But we've already seen tremendous commitments among the pharmaceutical industry to addressing health disparities, to changing the way they work, to being more transparent on their social platforms. So I feel really energized by, I think overall, the reception that we've received in in counseling clients on how to to take advantage of this transformation.
0: To to that point, addressing those health disparities, um, addressing health inequity, and I think we saw that very clearly and continue to see that very clearly um, since COVID uh, took over the country. This is almost a silly question to ask, but did pharma need to be prodded or did pharma basically recognize this is a situation more or less without recent precedent know this is our obligation as corporate citizens as just people that are seeing their communities kind of being gutted and being hit really hard by this by this you know unthinkable set of circumstances
1: yeah overall i i think people really see and and truly feel an obligation to to close some of the gaps that that COVID has highlighted and exacerbated. I see a real enthusiasm for this type of work across the different pharmaceutical leaders in the space. The the question is, how how do we actually make that reality? Um, I think what the the COVID vaccine rollout has shown us is that innovation and science are incredible and amazing and needed, but they don't mean as much if they can't get to everybody. And we have to figure out a way to really solve for the access challenges that exist. And that's not just pharma's job. That's a a job of, government and uh, policymakers and other stakeholders to to work with industry. But I have seen a real interest in collaboration, which is so important and an acknowledgement among industry that no one group or no one organization can do this alone. And a realization that we're not all gonna be healthy until everybody is healthy. And I think it's that, that spirit and that attitude that's really being embraced. And now it comes down to, Fundamentally, how do we get this innovation into the hands of people
0: who need it most? You know, it's funny. I'm one, one of the lines that you said, I was nodding my head when you said it. Um, there was something along the lines of you know, innovation and science, they're incredible, but it, it doesn't mean as much if it doesn't get to everybody. And I think that provides sort of a natural segue into talking a little bit about vaccine hesitancy, because I believe there are some people who almost aren't willing even to open their ears to some of the messages that you know pretty much need to be heard. Tell me a little bit about vaccine hesitancy and how we're seeing it manifest right now, given that, you know, vaccines are pretty much the top of mind thought and conversation for a great majority of people. I
1: mean, vaccine hesitancy is not new, right? And and I've worked in vaccines my entire career. Um, and, and we're certainly seeing some promising signs as it relates to the COVID vaccine specifically. I know there's some, uh, most of the polls I've seen that have come out recently show that the percentage of people who are now saying that they will definitely or most likely get the vaccine has nearly doubled uh, since even early fall, which is great. Um, But there's still a lot of work to be done, especially among underserved communities and communities of color where there's deep-seated medical mistrust that is driving some of the vaccine hesitancy. But generally in, in the vaccine world, what we talk about to address vaccine hesitancy is helping people really understand that the disease is the enemy, not the vaccine. And I think to a large degree, people get that about COVID, certainly because of the impact it's had on our daily lives. And and so it's really about reframing risk. Oftentimes when there's vaccine hesitancy, it's because people feel like taking the vaccine is riskier or getting the vaccine is riskier than the disease itself. And so it's really helping people understand the risk benefit profile of these vaccines and reassure them around safety. And the best way to do that is through trusted voices, really getting into communities because when people hear education and they hear information from people they trust, people they know, and, and that conversation is more personal, they're much more likely to overcome hesitancy than if they're seeing it kind of from a general message. So there's a lot of best practices and learnings, I think, from vaccine education that we've gathered over the years that need to be applied to COVID to make sure that we are increasing those numbers even more.
0: I think you already answered this next question, but let me throw it at you anyway. You've worked on you know vaccines before in the past. Um, how, how different is what we're seeing right now than the, you know, I don't want to say the typical vaccine hesitancy or vaccine skepticism or, you know, whatever we've seen in the past is the urgency of this situation, maybe in itself chipping away at some of that hesitancy or does it need to be um, support it? Does it need to be boosted by some of the education that uh, you just mentioned?
1: Yeah, in, in many ways, the, the situation that we're experiencing with the COVID vaccine is just a, an amalgamation of the challenges in vaccine development and distribution times a thousand, right? There are questions about safety that always exist with vaccines. There are the uh, potentially access and supply challenges that always can be an issue with vaccines. They're just on a much broader scale because of the impact that COVID has had and because of the urgency to your point at which this is being is needing to be rolled out. But what has been interesting to see from industry and what has been, I think, really heartening is really focusing people on what on the benefit that the vaccine is going to have, this this notion that uh, if you see in the recent ads that have come out from industry this return to normalcy this return to intimacy this ability to recapture these everyday beloved moments that we've missed out on and framing the benefit of the vaccine, not in technical terms or scientific terms or health terms, but really in life terms. And that is a very powerful way forward for us to continue to address hesitancy.
0: What you've seen so far, um, have we done this? Has the industry framed things in a way that is going to Resonate is going to make sense. Like, you know, I, I agree with what you said 1000%. I mean, if somebody comes up to me with the argument, like, you know what, you get ball games, you get live music back pretty quickly, you know, even as someone who's a full fledged believer in the science and a full fledged believer in the communications around the science, that's going to resonate much more. Um, have, have the efforts that you've seen so far stressed that enough?
1: I think it's a good start. I think what we need to do more of is ensure that we're taking a really grassroots approach and getting into communities, especially communities where uh, vaccine hesitancy is high with credible voices. Um, I think we're going to start to see more and more engagement of influencers and celebrities and community leaders and prominent people, which I will. I do think will help move the needle. I also think that we can push even further on helping people understand the science of vaccines. It's amazing to hear people in my day to day life now talking about RNA uh, interference. Like that this is a, a concept that is uh, you know like a simple concept, and it's not. And it's a it's a new vaccine science, and uh, it's amazing to see people really want to understand the science but to be to be able to do that even more and I think as more and more vaccines are introduced and some of them have different mechanisms of action and have different ways of working be really important to increase that scientific understanding in a in a new way so that people can be really educated because that will ultimately help people to understand the risk benefit profile which we really need to do so I think we've had a good start but there's more much more work to be done obviously and of course with the access situation uh, we have to find a way to make this um, more equitable, state to state. We have to find a way to help our underserved communities and, and older populations who may not have access to technology to even be able to sign up for the vaccine. We have to help. Communications can play a big role in helping people understand the process. And I was heartened to see some of the the elements of Biden's new plan because I think that that will start to address it. But there is obviously a lot more work to be done as it relates. To helping people just understand how to simply get access to the vaccine,
0: um, I'd, I'd like to loop back to the access in a minute or two. But um, something you said over the course of that answer jumped out at me. Um, you know, educating the public on vaccine science. You know, what you said about you know people that are not trained scientists, not trained epidemiologists, talking about RNA and everything else. That is, to me, a great tribute on how we're doing so far. How can we ensure that we don't get that kind of you know eyes glazing over factor when we do talk about some of the scientific specifics it's almost like the spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down
1: yeah i think the principles of good scientific communication still apply here uh making it bite-sized and not overwhelming is incredibly helpful making sure that we are visualizing the science for people and and not just using words but using images because we are such a visual society right now Uh, tapping into people who are relatable to deliver those scientific messages and really pushing ourselves to Uh, think in, uh, you know, a layman's terms versus a scientist's terms. So all of those are still going to be helpful in in terms of, and even what you said, you know, with the metaphor, using antidotes and metaphors and day-to-day concepts that can help to bring the science to life. All of those are going to be helpful, and I think we've all been moving so quickly uh, that there's still an opportunity to make that science even more approachable than it already is.
0: Back to what you were saying a little bit about the access um, question. Um, some of the underserved and older populations that you referenced earlier, um, you know, there's a technological challenge, there's a communications challenge, um, there's a logistical challenge, you know, as we're seeing, you know, with the pace of shots being put into arms being a little below where everybody uh, thought it would be. Um, how do we start to hit those as well? And how, how do we not overload people? Um, I mean, the the scale and the complexity of this is something that, you know, if you sit down and you think about it, it's it's... It's astounding. (laughs) How how do we not overwhelm people with a lot of the information that they need to hear?
1: I don't envy anybody who's in the vaccine distribution business. It's really, really hard. Uh, But the fact of the matter is is that probably 20% of vulnerable, the most vulnerable populations for COVID don't have access to the internet to get online and book appointments. And that is not something that we're gonna solve overnight. I've been amazed to hear so many friends and colleagues who are jumping in to help people uh, navigate that and address that. So we have to uh, make that support more systemic. It can't just be on the individual basis, but we have to find a way to um, support people who are most vulnerable to get them access to technology and access to information. But that's that's not easy, and that's why I was saying earlier that you know COVID-19 has really spotlighted the disparities that already existed in our health systems. I also think uh, more centralization of the efforts. again, you know, in President Biden's plan, he talks about, really the federal government stepping in more, coordinating more across states so it isn't so disparate and different state to state and and sharing best practices and sharing what's working, looking at places and states where they're having more success and what they're doing and learning from that and harnessing the power of our collective intelligence is something that I think has been lacking a little bit so far. And so I'm hopeful that by really kind of strengthening the use of data and knowledge, uh, we'll be able to, to take advantage of some of those insights to be able to address some of
0: these gaps. I realize it's very unfair to ask anybody about the future because the future seems to be changing every couple of hours as opposed to uh, what we used to, uh, used to experience. In your mind, what are the two or three most pressing communication challenges ahead, not just in the short term, but maybe in the immediate and even longer term?
1: One is, is addressing vaccine hesitancy, and not among people who are never gonna get it, but among enough people that we can achieve herd immunity and communications plays a huge role in getting people more comfortable and, and starting to trust the science. The second is helping people understand the science and embrace it and uh, use it to put the, the risk benefit of these vaccines into context. And then I think the third is, is continuing the efforts that have started, in really helping people uh, understand the true value, the true benefit of, of getting the vaccine and making sure that we're bringing that emotional side of the story in terms of the, the possibility of returns to normal and what that could look like to get people re-inspired. So uh, I think if we can do those three things, then we have a good chance of, of hopefully making some real progress and getting the majority of folks here vaccinated.
0: If we talk again, maybe, I don't know, six months from now, Um, Are you optimistic? Are we going to be in a better place? Is it going to be a little harder than we all think? Or are we going to finally get there and then maybe around the beginning, end of summer, we can start to have something approximating normal?
1: Yeah, it's it's a tough question, obviously. You know, I hope that we don't go 100% back to normal because at the end of the day, a lot of what we've talked about today is that what covid has shown is is that there are some real issues with our health systems around the world our our public the way we approach public health the disparities that exist so if we don't use this as an opportunity to really Fundamentally close those gaps and address those inequities. Then, um, and we just go back to what it was before. We just go back to normal. Then I think we failed as a as a society and and as communicators. So my hope is that in six months, yes, we're we're inching back to um, more freedom and more health and um, less less burden on our health systems, but. That we're also creating a, a new normal that is about really recognizing that we're all in this together. And if we can't make sure that everybody is is safe and everybody is healthy, then we can't really all feel that way. So uh, I guess that's my my hope for getting back to normal is that it's more of a, a new normal, uh, if you will.
0: We're all in this together. Absolutely. That's the, uh, that's what we need to uh, that's what we need to focus on. Yeah, Kristen, I can't thank you enough for joining us here today. This was a great education for me, and uh, we're looking forward to talking again soon. Um, you know, that conversation about six months from now. Let's have that.
1: Hopefully, we'll be at least uh, maybe in person together. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you again for your time today and for the MMM podcast. This is Larry Dobrow. Many thanks for listening and check back in soon. Take care. Thanks.